Welcome, one and all, across the Alpha Quadrant and beyond to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Okay, that's enough existential dread. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 210, the season two finale, first First Contact comes to you now via a pile of crazy dangerous space debris. And Pete, just a bit of low Earth orbit news before we leave this episode. Uh, in the last week, William Shatner went to space. That's pretty impressive, even though it's a vanity project from a maniacal billionaire. But Pete, Captain Kirk was in a spaceship in space. He was in space on Wednesday. He was at a convention on Saturday. Apparently, Bezos isn't picking up the bill. Well, look, William Shatner's drive to never, you know, look, in the 70s, he was almost broke. He's living out of his car. He's divorced, this, that, the other. Well documented that he has, you know, forever tried to keep that feeling in the rearview mirror by being a gosh darn workhorse at the age of 90 you know again some of the particulars of bezos and space tourism and whatnot maybe is less than uplifting but there's nothing wrong with william shatner literally going to space this week his uh his little exit interview as he got out of the pod um the raw feelings of it you you Regardless of how you feel about Shatner, and I know there's been some back and forth now between George Takei and Shatner, uh, both of whom we've had the pleasure of meeting, and yes, they don't see eye to eye. Um, I can't help but, you know, uh, feel connected with the sentiments that Shatner expressed about, you know, what it was like to look back at your home planet and you know that this is the guy we've grown up watching play this intrepid captain and now he has been to the edge of space um yeah i I think it's a important detail let's get to kai up there now i don't think we're gonna get uh michelle nichols but gosh darn if she's had enough to do with the uh space agency and, uh, you know, popularizing that. Well, Pete, looking ahead to uh, the edge of our own bridge, I suppose, of course, this time next week, we'll be doing the season two wrap up of this great season of Lower Decks. Uh, Boy, have these 10 weeks gone by fast. I can't believe we have completed this second season. Thank goodness they are working on a third. I would imagine we'll hear pretty soon. Oh, yeah, and we're doing some fourth season stuff already. No formal need for renewal because this show has taken off in a way I think few people ever thought it would. Well, let's dive into this episode as we turn to the Ready Rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. The Cerritos has met up with the USS Archimedes and gasp Captain Sonia Gomez the hot chocolate lady done good. The Archimedes is going to initiate a first contact mission, and the Cerritos will nudge in out of sight for second contact subspace relay initiation. 
Also, Captain Freeman may be up for a promotion. While exiting the meeting, Mariner overhears Mom say that she may be on her way out and taking no other staff. Our lower deckers are in the shuttle bay, with Rutherford having trouble with his ocular display. Error messages keep getting in the way, but Boimler can't stand in for Rutherford's next duty shift. He's making a Captain Freeman Day banner. Mariner updates the group, and Boimler notes that they can all line up and applaud the captain on her way out. It's the saddest Chekhov's gun setup of the series. Also, Tendi thinks that Tana is mad at her. Mariner goes to the bar, telling some senior staff about Freeman's expected promotion. As the two ships prepare for the first contact mission, the command staff is clearly angry at having not been looped in. Ransom assumes he's being taken along in the promotion as well, but he, Billups, and Shax are all staying put. At least it'll be good for Ransom, who, nope, it'll be somebody new who's the captain. The fighting continues, but red alert, the Lapirian sun just emitted an emission. Tendi goes to sickbay and oversees Ta'ana, deleting her file. Yikes. Tendi thinks she's being transferred off the ship and runs to tell Rutherford. He confirms she's off the medical roster, but he puts on a smiley face. Let's tour the best places on the ship, if you are indeed leaving. They visit the greatest hits of the last two seasons while confirming their friendship. They end up in the captain's yacht. Meanwhile, the Archimedes warps into the lap system, moving slowly, and there's a fun callback to the whole hot chocolate thing. The Lapirian sun's emission hits a planetoid, majorly damning the Archimedes, sending it spinning end over end. Gomez is told it's like the system was hit by an EMP, and the planet's gravity well has them. They feel existential dread. Pause. Now back to work. On the Cerritos, they have 20 hours to save their comrades and can't hit any debris, can't use shields, and can't warp past it for yelling reasons that are unclear. Even Mariner can't give an off-the-books solution. Mariner and Freeman go to the captain's yacht, reflecting on Mariner's need to drop her defenses. Rutherford overhears and says the same is true for the ship. If they jettison the outer hull, the debris won't be drawn to the ship and they can be piloted through it. Freeman gives a stirring speech, everyone to work, Cerritos strong. We see everyone in EV suits popping squares off the hull, and Rutherford's alerts keep happening. Billups notes that the implant storage is almost full. It's because Rutherford backs up memories times three. Billups notes that if he can't make new memories, is it worth backing up the old ones? Time goes by, the Archimedes getting closer and closer to the planet, where even the shuttles can't be started. Now they've got seven hours. Cut to the Cerritos, stripped but beautiful. Mariner and Freeman are still bickering, and Freeman just wanted her daughter to continue to work on improving herself. One last hull plate is left, but the ship needs to move now. Ransom starts to pilot it, and Rutherford needs to purge those memory files. Montage of past adventures, and a chilling moment where he remembers the implant being put in for murky reasons. Rutherford, Tendi, Mariner, and Boimler enter gasp cetacean ops. The dolphin officers are thirsty for Rutherford to strip down and swim with them? Someone, though, needs to swim down and help release the last hull panel from the inside. Boimler notes Mariner shouldn't be fighting with Mom, so she needs to go fix things. Boimler can swim. Time to dive into the unknown. The dolphins help him down, and he makes it to the release station. Mariner apologizes to her mother, and it's all good, and... Mariner and Jen will help guide the ship. 
back in the hydro tube, Boimler's suit has a tear. Is it curtains for Boimler? Ransom pilots the ship through the debris. Intercut is Boimler being brought to the surface, not breathing. No time for sickbay. Tendi has to bring him back. She does, all while, on the bridge, Mariner is thrown into space. Is it curtains for Mariner? Jen saves her. Cut to the Archimedes, entering the upper atmosphere. Is it curtains for Captain Gomez and crew? They heat up, but the Cerritos arrive, saving the day. No lives lost on either ship. Shortly thereafter, Captain Freeman and crew beam down to Lap, ready for her first first contact. Laperia welcomes her, and they're ready to party. Later still, more ships have arrived in orbit to help both the Archimedes and Cerritos. Crew are patched up in sickbay, where Ta'ana finally tells Tendi she's not sickbay material. She's so fantastic that she's being moved into senior science officer training. Bridge duty, away missions, just like Spock or Dax. In the bar, everyone is celebrating, including Freeman, who's a bit drunk. Also, Mariner and Jen mend fences. Jen thought that she was hated. Mariner pushes away people that she likes. So does she, like, like Jen? The crew toasts Freeman. And officers from Starfleet Command would like to come aboard. All are okay with Freeman moving up. However, she tells the crew that she's turning down the transfer. She'll have to share that news to the Starfleet Command folks up in the conference room. Commander Mandel is there, ready to give a speech, but Freeman cuts him off. She's turning down the promotion, but she's put in shackles. She's under arrest for the destruction of Pakled Planet. They have proof that she colluded with Klingon extremists to plant a Veruvian bomb, all during this rescue mission. She is walked out, but the crew is there to applaud her. Chekhov's saddest gun. She's taken away, and as the crew watches, Starfleet security warps her away from the damaged Cerritos in a long, fading shot. To be continued. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. All right, Pete, with that incoming threat analysis, let's talk first on the list. Hold on to your hot chocolates. Pete, is that Captain Sonia Gomez on the list? Is she a threat? I can't help feel that having her ship, uh, first off, it's great that she became a captain after what we saw of the early days of her career, this accident-prone uh, essentially uh, comedy relief every woman on the Enterprise D. I can't help think, though, that her ship getting struck by this debris and hurtling towards a planet, much like her falling down on the Enterprise, wasn't in some way referential. You know, I hadn't quite thought of it like that, but yes, I suppose just as just as she once tumbled, uh, so does the USS Archimedes. I will add to it though this, Pete. I'll I'll, I'll leaven your 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 finger wag at Captain Sonia Gomez, uh, albeit you know I know you're doing it somewhat tongue in cheek, but um, there had been plans for a third episode with Sonia Gomez uh, to give Jordy more of an arc. Maybe it was going to be recurring past the three episodes. Be, be a reason for him to abandon the visor and go for the experimental eye treatment thing, which was teased, uh, you know, in that uh, season three or, you know, whenever it was when Sonya Gomez was appearing. Um, 
she had told she was done for the episode then she got a her hair cut and then they wanted her back and it was like a whole issue where they're upset that her hair wasn't long for the reshoots and i think that may in a really kind of dumb and catty uh series of events i think that may have impacted her coming back for the third episode and so on and so forth so some justice here for sonia gomez if only giving the characters you know a happy ending that that was not had in those two episodes of tng If only Matt, this Matt, not the uh, station ops officer, uh, maintained total recall of Sonia Gomez. Yes, I was. I was interested to learn that uh, actress Licia Naff um, had a decent run, decent career in the 80s and early 90s in Hollywood. Um, never quite rose much above um, smaller roles and ended up, uh, to my quick look, had not acted in about 15 or 20 years before this. I was also surprised to learn that she's a real memorable minor character in Total Recall. Um, she's the one that's got three. We'll just leave it, leave it at that, Pete. I think that's all that needs to be said. Let's talk about the Lapyrian solar flare that struck this unstable planetoid as a threat. You know, a fun... Um, excuse to do damage to the ship I, I think that we all understand the, the the story structure to why that happens uh visually i liked that it took it the explosion of the solar flare and the the spreading of the planetoid pieces took a bit of a a, a view from uh the explosion of praxis in star trek six mm -hmm. uh i think it's a reminder to you know the dangers of space that are out there um I'll also add Pete, and this only jumped out in the second watch, and I know you know I mentioned it in the recap, uh, but I like the little detail of they can't warp around the uh, the debris because rah, 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 everybody just kind of yells. I think yeah. that in the, in the writing room, they were like, space is so huge, it actually is no big deal to go around this debris, uh, but we need to come up with a reason, and the reason is rah, rah, overlapping dialogue. That's a that's in line with this show, where you can have kind of a comic a comic excuse for things. But look, insert Jordy giving tech blah blah blah, and then there's the this, and then the the Vasatron waves. Like it's the same outcome, which is we're going to go through it for a really cool scene that involves the whole crew, as opposed to uh oh accident ahead. Okay, four wheel drive, just go on the grass, go around. Are you aware that in that overlapping dialogue? Shaxx can be heard saying, Dr. Aaron says we can't do that, which is a canonical reference now to Dr. Aaron McDonald, who is the Lower Decks scientific consultant. Um, I did not hear that. I like that. I really, really like that. Um, I don't know if that was maybe an improv moment. I'll mention Pete in part because I don't, uh, probably I should save this for, for, a theory for later but i want to i don't want to lose track of the real uh bit of information now um the andorian character jen is is so named the jennifer part comes from a uh an improv line that tawny newsom gave so this whole minor arc with jen and the, the role that jen plays and so on and so forth it's the name is just a throwaway improv thing so if uh, Fred uh, Tataskiori similarly was just, you know, it's like, oh, g give some reasons. We're going to we're going to loop them all together. And that's the reason. And now there's a 
uh, a canonical uh, inclusion of uh, of the science advisor, I'm all for it. Rutherford's implant and this memory that pops up that he wasn't supposed to see. Yeah, in an episode that I think we are we're prepared to feel the emotion in the beginning of you know is the captain leaving or not? We are invested in these characters in an episode that has got to leave a lump in your throat at the end um, with just this magnificent construction of the the Chekhov's gun that is the hallway applause send off and how that how that sadly impacts things at the end. Um, this is already a, an episode that has more emotional stakes. Then you just get this. It's not out of the blue from a story sense, but I did not see coming that that would be a secret history to Rutherford. And the fact that it's done in the season two finale with full knowledge of season three coming, you know, Pete, I feel bad for Rutherford who was hurt. I'm glad that he lives in an era where there can be a, um, you know, a, a mechanical solution to uh, eye and I'm assuming kind of brain damage, ear damage, all of that. That, that That's wonderful. If Rutherford is a stand-in for, uh, you know, disabled people and so forth, that's wonderful too. That would have been enough to then say secret history coming next season. I don't know what to make of it, but it's a great threat to now have in what otherwise has been this happy, this happy crew. I thought where we were going to go with Starfleet showing up on the Cerritos at the end of the episode was going to be in some way triggered by, well, your crewman who wasn't supposed to see this has seen this and it happened on your watch. You are in trouble. But Commander Mandel here of Starfleet security arresting uh, Captain Freeman because, you know, she was on the mission conveniently when Hackled planet blew up. I, I think we can all recognize that this is probably not a permanent uh, story turn, right? I don't think that when we get to the series finale, we're going to go, well, thank goodness they finally let mom out of prison. You know, their mom was in prison season three through 10. Like, I think in five minutes you could wrap this up if you want to next season. And that could be funny. Like, oh, it was so dramatic. And then they go, oh, it was a clerical error. Like, that would be funny. You want to drag it out for a couple episodes and lean towards the drama side of it. That's great, too. It keeps the whole pack-led Klingon uh, storyline going in the background, which I'm certainly in favor of. Um, but, yeah, in the moment of Commander Mandel taking away uh, Freeman, super powerful moment. Uh, one that I don't think we ever saw coming. I never thought I'd feel this way about Lower Decks until Commander Mandel took us all there. Pete, let's use our sensors to scan for and analyze some theories. Uh, I'm torn, Pete. Do you want to start with Rutherford's secret history of bad people, or do you want to talk about uh freeman's future i think for certain there will be this tribunal that they've referenced and you know we had the season one episode where our four lower deckers stood trial um star trek six style uh i i think they can obviously take a little bit from that uh, but perhaps do it like discovery style with the 
the faceless, uh, you know, tribunal and and levy some harsh judgment um, or they can bring back some uh, familiar faces, you know, and and stick them in the tribunal. I think there's a lot of uh, entertaining and ripe with opportunity uh, ways that they could go about it. So for season three, do you, do you extend Freeman's absence for an episode or two so that you can have a temporary captain, either ransom who's going to now be captain and have it taken away when Freeman returns? Uh, or do you go the TNG? Well, I guess we saw that in TNG with Riker and best of both worlds, or do you go another TNG route and go for, um, the babysitter captain, which let's not forget, they already showed us in season one of Lower Decks. That's a that's a thing for some people of captaincy, yes. where they, they come in as the temporary captain here, temporary captain there. Do you do a Jellico? Do, do you, you know? Do you do a thing where the the temporary captain, whether it's stunt voice casting or not, but you, you know, do you come in with this is the piece that we don't like? So when Freeman comes back, it's you know everything is as it should be. So which which oh, one I do mean- you go for? You, you read my mind with Jellico. Uh, let me throw Shelby's hat in the ring for her there. Um, that we reference in this episode, uh, Captain Styles of the Excelsior with his riding crop. Okay. Uh, why don't we throw him in there? Because obviously, um, uh, that's a possibility, even though he's, you know, 75 years before, uh, maybe his head is the only thing left and his riding crop, or he had a grandson or what have you, like whatever is going to get the most yucks out of that. I mean, Matt, what about a season of replacement captains? Uh, I don't hate that as an ongoing gag particularly if you want to say how how far out can we do this into 10 episodes you know ransom as the temporary in the first one and particularly since you know the show this season especially in this episode it zeroed in on that bittersweet place between comedy and drama at times so pete yucks where you come in and go oh that's a reference to star trek 3 or you know etc etc that would be a lot of fun I would not hate the dramedy of Ransom all of a sudden looks at himself a little bit differently now that he's temporary captain. Now that gets knocked down as somebody else comes in, uh, who's the anti-Ransom, whatever that might look like. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like we certainly are in agreement that there's enough story options to keep Freeman out of a successful conclusion of the uh, of the tribunal soon. You know, to, to, to lengthen it as long as possible. Uh, we certainly agree that that's where things have got to be headed. Uh, obviously, the Veruvian bomb mentioned early on this season comes to pass. I prefer they did it this way rather than make it part of some grand finale. Uh, I will definitely take credit for having said from the moment that that was mentioned that that would head towards the season finale. I will take blame for having said that the Titan would return with uh, Billy Boimler. Uh, so I get a I get a 50 here for the finale on my predictions. Actually, I get a, a 66 
uh, given that I said um, Freeman would get promoted uh, and then maybe points off that she turned down the promotion and it turned into her arrest and future court martial. Well, Pete, you may be a little too strict on yourself. Did she get the promotion uh, while it was not official official? You know, when her husband, who's an admiral, says it's in the process of happening, I feel like that's that's proof that it was going to happen. It's not your fault, Pete, that it got uh, stopped both on her end and on Starfleet Security's end. Um, so I think I, I think you were more right than not. What is your um, Mariner Gen ship name? Um, Mariner Gen. We can't use oh Benifer. How about Ben or Bem? <laughs> you know that's just per- <laughs> Pete. I, I'm going to put one Latinum uh, diskette on the table here to bet uh, that they. That they, you know, if they are indeed a couple, which I, I hope they are, I feel that that's just – this isn't even, you know, guy, you know, oh, ho, 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 the two girls. Like, I, I think it would be so good for Mariner – it would be a good arc for Mariner to be, like, A, a little bit more accepting of who she's attracted to. Although I I know that's also the story saying, hey, we wanted Mariner to be bisexual and we kind of didn't communicate that in the first season. We're going to do better in the second season. Okay, great. Also, it allows Mariner – to lower her guard and this acknowledgement, this reflection that she pushes people away that she likes. Um, and in that process, maybe pushing away somebody for whom she has romantic aspirations. That's just a, I, I can just get behind that as, you know, love is love and go after who you want to go after and things like that. Um, and then the fact that you could, you could miss portmanteau it into BEM and being an animated series reference. I think that's just icing on the cake. Mine is jacket. That's not bad, um, Pete. I feel like we we wandered away slightly. Maybe you're maybe you're part of the the shadowy conspiracy. <laughs> Rutherford's implant. I mean, one does not just say that. Um, I mean, it's, it's obviously not part of normal, uh, you know, a normal surgical thing. I don't know. Is this? I feel like there's so much potential for it to be really, really bad, particularly in a season that has shown us this is more than just jokes and, you know, the the worst missions that are out there. I mean, surely it's not Starfleet Medical. Surely it's, I mean, I guess it could be a Section 31 thing, but you're going to, you're going to do covert surveillance on an ensign on a lower class ship, you know, like that's not satisfying. I mean, I feel like Pete, it's the Romulans. It's, you know, it's, it's the Breen. It's gotta be something that's, that's big. And they've, they're just buying their time with this guy. Well, that the story now is that we are to believe his enhancement was elective and that there was some form of entry that some party has taken advantage of to monitor him. And obviously what's going on in this ship, um, clearly that's a jumping off point for season three. Um, interested to see where exactly they could take it. I love that you bring up the Breen, Matt, after the Packlid, uh, you know, really an underserved threat and one I think that could 
be used to maximum effect on lower decks. Well, I do like your uh, reminder to everybody uh, that one way to read the the shadowy memory is that Rutherford himself was in on this, which has me worried because we've seen now two iterations of kind, sweet, open-minded, big-hearted Rutherford, uh, the one in the first season, then there's the memory loss, then he gets to go this, you know, go in the same path again with Tendi. The notion that that might not be the real Rutherford and he doesn't know it, that there's going to be, you know, activate him as a sleeper agent and the real Rutherford is a Section 31 guy or is an agent of the Breen or whomever. And it's going to be, you know, Pete, do you remember for the first two and a half seasons when Rutherford was a good guy and then they just took that away and there was no going back? Um, I'm worried that they could do that for as much as I think, okay, they're going to reset you know, Freeman, she's going to come back. That's no guarantee that we're going to sitcom style reset every single time in every single way for this show. Well, as long as we get a glimpse at the rubber ducky room, uh, Pete, we better, we better, um, the rubber ducky room, the jeans, uh, world war two bomber room, the, the room, uh, which may be part of the shuttle bay where they keep the Porsche. I mean, bring it all on that. We've finally gotten a glimpse at cetacean ops leads me to believe that that could be a thing i mean that these technical uh specifications that are on canonical uh charts and maps and cutaways of these ships can somehow come back in comedic situations well and i had asked on our what if podcast uh yesterday i had asked why is what if animated and just kind of this notion of they weren't necessarily leaning the show was not built to lean into the strengths of animation whether it's uh more abstract drawing or whether it's you know really drawing things that can't be done um in a more photorealistic way whether it's shot practically or photorealistic digital effects blah 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 it is impossible to imagine a show of anything less than you know game of thrones discovery Apple TV kind of upper, upper, upper echelon stuff. You can't imagine a live action show where they're going to train two dolphins and then put them in outfits, which leads to animal abuse concerns, or it would just look ridiculous, uh, let alone, fine, we're going to computer generate the dolphins and somehow that's going to look good, even though I have concerns about how it's going to look good. We're then going to, what, get an actor, a live action actor on wires to simulate the water, but then the hair is not going to float, so we have to do digital hair and red, it quickly becomes like, no, just cut it and have him go to an, a port in the hall and push the button. Why is this show animated? So you can have dolphins that look cute without needing to look like photorealistic dolphins. So you can have this insane vertical drop tank area, then a horizontal tube towards it. Um, the whole thing just leans into the power the animation gives you. It fulfills this weird throwaway thing that's in the technical manual from 19... 91 or whatever it is and pete you also get to play it for laughs because those dolphins are really eager to have the guys strip down and swim with them and shout out to mike mcmahon and his team for naming one of them after you <laughs> well i don't know if it was literally after me uh, no, 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 no. stop okay uh my podcast partner is entirely too humble okay uh that character is named 
for Matthew Lafferty. Mike, uh, when you listen to this, I won't say if, Mike McMahon, when you listen to this, okay, season three, include uh, Peter the Red Shirt. Uh, not because Red Shirt <laughs> about to die, because he's Command Path. Include him, and then then we'll know that the pact is complete. So so there you go, Pete. We're in the theory segment, watching out for watching out for your character in season three. Uh, the use of Captain Picard, Captain Freeman Day as a trope, uh, great. But the repeated insistence that that's a craft day for toddlers, that that's for uh, dolphin calves, is another great gag. It's a great gag, and I also think on that proverbial whiteboard in the writer's room, it may be there because Boimler doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode. You know, Tendi has the arc of, I need to say goodbye. Oh, the goodbye is because I'm worth more than I thought. I'm more valuable than I thought, and Dr. Tana recognizes that. Uh, and the character is going to have the next iteration as a scientist, not a medical person. Awesome. You get the arc here of Rutherford needing to confront, I mean, just this great, the great line that Paul Shear gives and that Paul Shear gives with all of the dignity of a senior officer to say, you know, son, why worry about holding on to new to old memories if you can't make new ones? I mean, it's that's just a that's just a solid line there. Solid line, well delivered. Rutherford's on his own arc, which of course gives us the 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 hidden secret apple, the poisoned apple of this past for him. Uh, Mariner, you know, resolving her anger with. Uh, who is family to her, the family of friends or the family of biology? What does her heart want out of family, out of friends, out of romance? Great stuff there. What's Boimler's arc? He saves the day with the thing. Okay. That's it. Throw in some Captain Freeman stuff or, you know, yeah, Captain Freeman Day stuff. Uh, it's enough to kind of get his line count up and to get him a little bit more in the episode, even when he doesn't have the emotional impact that the other three do. Who knew Billups had such a potty mouth? <laughs> I had to wonder too, especially I, f- I feel like this this notion of uh, the, the Jennifer line, the Jennifer name having been improv by Tony Newsom. Um, was that Paul Shear improving? Was it just the script said Billups curses and they're like, all right, Paul, give us five takes. Each needs to be three seconds or less. The rage there. It almost, Pete, when you go back and listen to it, it almost sounds like Paul Shear. Um, is overdoing it on the microphone, which suggests to me, regardless of whether this was scripted or improvised or whatever, that this was the best take because the sound is not 100%. It's it's far from cruddy, don't get me wrong. But there's just so much anger there that you just feel like, you know, the engineer might have been like, Paul, can you, let's do it again, just move a little bit back from the microphone. And it just did not have the immediacy. You know, he loves this ship. That's the other thing too, the takeaway from this episode it's it's summarized in that Billups line. They all love being there, even though it's not the Enterprise and the tippity top and the best of the best. They love where they are at. They are okay with themselves. And that's a great message too. Interesting path to take Tendi down with Dr. Ta'ana, uh, you know, uh, promoting her for senior science officer training. Um, I'm there for it with one exception. We better continue to get plenty of Dr. Tatana. Well, first and foremost, the move obviously serves Tendi as a character, and that's wonderful. 
that said, I don't know that I don't know that this season the best. In fact, I do know. How about that? Let me turn around to the positive. I know that the best stuff from Doctor Tana this season have not been Tana Tendi lines. It's been, you know, Tana being a great doctor in the early episodes. You know, in, in the God Ransom episode, um, Tana getting frisky with Shax and things. Whether it was you know uh, Hollow imagined or uh, or you know when they were hanging out in the lower decks bunks and whatnot. The character is strong enough to stand on her own in other situations, whether it's you, you dream up personal scenes with, uh, you know, between her and other command crew folks or just medical emergencies. The character doesn't need Tendi just as Tendi doesn't need Ta'ana. We know that Talyn will return for season three. Mike McMahon uh, acknowledged that this week. Um, he also said how much he loves uh, an honorable Klingon uh, who's not a backstabber like Ma'a. So that Klingon extremists were linked to the Pakled planet destruction, gotta imagine we're going to see him again. Yeah, I would. I mean, clearly, clearly the connection between Pakleds and Veruvian bomb, the connection is a Klingon one. Um, we thought through the, through the role of comedy, we were lulled into a false sense of security when it came to the Pakleds and they blew up the one Veruvian bomb that they had. I must confess, Pete, thinking back to last week's episode, I know another bomb was ordered delivered. If it was delivered, I think it was maybe off screen, um, for forever. I've been talking about, um, the, World War II movie, Mr. Roberts, that's taking place on a supply ship that's never going to see action and so forth, and how I think that's a good template for Lower Decks. Uh, it makes sense here, too, that if it's going to be revealed that the bomb was delivered and the Pakleds took it back to their planet and did the most Pakledy thing, which is, you know, stick it in a nuclear reactor at, you know, Capital City and it blew up the entire planet, <laughs> let that be something that the Cerritos experiences as a breaking news alert, so to speak, not something that they bear witness to as an enterprise would. Um, it makes more sense for the, for the setup of the show. And it, it obviously feeds the dramatic potential that they're leaning to, uh, leaning into here. So this epic rescue mission that the Cerritos goes on, they carry it off. The day is saved. The captain's not going to leave. And gets arrested and brought off in front of everybody to be continued. And Matt, share with me the story of the family guy cliffhanger. So as a prelude to that, let me say the potency shown at the end of this episode, I think is stunning. Um, it's probably typical camera work to do a you know a soft pullout at the end i think it had an echo to the deep space nine finale but to get to be continued in the blue font on the screen um it you know obviously in lots of places oh it's a reminder of best of both worlds when they did that which took me down a click hole and and gets to this anecdote pete so we all remember mr warfire da 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 you know to be continued and if you lived through it at the time you go i can't imagine waiting 10 whole weeks to find out what happens Fast forward to when Family Guy did uh, the season four two-parter, uh, Stewie kills Lois, and then she comes back at the end of that first parter. Uh, part two is Lois kills Stewie. 
Um, and it's, you know, I was not killed. And then it's like, but Stewie did it or something like that. I don't remember the, I don't remember the exact, exact uh, uh, accusation. Ends with, da, 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 and to be continued. Uh, the Family Guy folks had reached out to Paramount to license the music. And Paramount said, no, absolutely not. So Family Guy went out and uh, hired Best of Both Worlds composer and longtime Star Trek composer Ron Jones to write an ending that was that was different enough so it wasn't a copyright theft, but to go da 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 da. And Pete, the two are virtually indistinguishable unless you listen to them back to back. So shades of that as we got our our much more muted to be continued this week. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go, Pete, to our Twitter poll, uh, which, Pete, I have enjoyed moving the Star Trek polls away from 4321 just to avoid the haters. Uh, It's been a great challenge this season. I guess we'll have to talk internally. Do I continue with the effort uh, for Discovery? But uh, for this week, uh, which... Star Trek career move best suits your take of the episode, which I'll admit, Pete, are the two very connected? I don't know exactly. We're having some fun here. Uh, First option was visit from security, got 0%. Next was rank up, got 24%. Uh, First contact, partay, got 28%. And then Pete, maybe a little suspiciously, 48% of people said swim with cetacean ops. Um, I like swimming too, but you know those dolphins are looking for you to swim uh in the nude right like that's what they kept saying somebody needs to listen a little bit more carefully to the uh universal translator there but pete some replies as well first one from big killing uh or, or pardon me james is sagacious that's at big killing on twitter great episode the show keeps surprising me one of the best season finale cliffhangers in trek history some of the best writing on tv slash streaming uh, we also heard from What Of It, that's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Another great episode. Felt like it had real stakes, considering it's animated. This is probably the most live-action type Trek episode for me. Well done to all. We heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln, that's at TessLC139. Uh, Lower Deck season finale, High Notes. Original TNG Ensign Gomez actor reprising her character. Cetacean Ops officer's infatuation with Rutherford. Naked Cerritos saves the day. Boimler being saved from almost drowning in whale pee. Mariner and Jennifer's budding friendship. Excellent visual effects. A twist ending. Bring on season three and season four and season five and dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So, uh, Pete, I am never going to look at that beautiful 3D animation of the Cerritos without uh, exterior panels. I'm never going to look at that again and not think hashtag Naked Cerritos. Yeah, uh, we heard also from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. The uh, let's see, number one, the ending. It was Mister War Fire all over again. Number two, I've really enjoyed saying Jennifer frown emoji <laughs> every time I see that particular character, and may have to keep doing it regardless of any further developments to the character. Three, I love that Tendi and Rutherford have remained friends so far, and part of me hopes that it continues uh, this way. That this way. People of opposite gender are allowed to be close friends. Yet I also find myself ho- hoping that Mariner and Jennifer will get together. Pete, can't we hope for it all? I agree. Tendi and Rutherford, there there could have been a moment of romance in this episode. They are just friends. Whether whether there's some sort of discussion, etc., whether it's orientation or just, guess what? 
opposite genders are friends and you know what mariner and jennifer uh bem as i'd like to call them uh can be more than friends too um and jackie concluded by saying i'm just continuing impressed with this show and can't wait for the next season live long and prosper and she shared uh a picture of herself giving the vulcan salute while wearing the red cerritos shirt property of uss cerritos and so forth so lots of enthusiasm from jackie there uh, and then the last tweet here is from Evil Wire. I think I'm saying that correctly. E-V-Y-L, who is uh, at LiveWire, L-Y-V-E underscore Wire on Twitter. Those dirty-minded dolphins were the best. You noted, Pete, that their dialogue wasn't for calves. And Evil Wire responded with the laughing hard emoji, uh, which is as good a point as any to conclude discussion on those dirty-minded dolphins. Well, whether you want to swim with the Dolphins or you want to just swim with the big boys, Matt, get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Indeed, Pete, keeping us listeners supported throughout the entire season uh, through our wrap next week and beyond to more Star Trek that we have this month in Prodigy and next month in Discovery and so forth. Uh, as always, those storage and bandwidth costs are there in the background, much like the pack led threat. Uh, and we are so appreciative to have the help that we do. Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,081 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. So as mentioned before, uh, still doing a uh, Lower Deck Season 2 rap podcast next week. That'll be on both the Pop Culture Podcast feed and the Lower Decks feed then uh still going to be talking uh at least the prodigy premiere no plans to podcast the entire series uh then we'll turn things officially over to our discovery feed uh in november as we get ready for season four of discovery so lots of star trek on the horizon with that pete i will uh say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word i'll tell sickbay to brace for hangovers I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?